Mongrel, miscegenator, half-breed, outcast, deviant, heretic. Our words for hybridity are so often epithets. They shouldn't be. Hybrids need not be the problem. It could be the solution. Hybrids do more than embody mixtures between groups. Hybrids reveal the boundaries between groups to be false. And this is vital, for creativity comes from intermingling, from rejecting the lifelessness of purity. Mosin Hamid, Discontent and its Civilizations. Next time they ask you where you're from, you tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb. And if they wonder who you are, well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. Welcome to White Adjacent. I'm your host, David Shams, an Iranian-American writer and wannabe podcaster, born and raised in the heart of Kentucky's bourbon country. Growing up in my rural Kentucky hometown, there were whites, blacks, and then us with our Iranian immigrant father and white American mother. It took moving away from my hometown to realize there were others like us, struggling to figure out what it meant to have competing identities, what it meant to be hyphenated, what it meant to straddle whiteness and otherness, what it meant to be white adjacent. On this episode, I'm joined by Grace Burnett, an Iranian-American living in Northern Virginia. Grace grew up in the D.C. area. Her experience was a little different than most Iranian-Americans, though. Her Iranian side is Azari, which means that Grace spent much of her life navigating the challenge of not just being white adjacent, but also handling the complexities of being Iranian, but not Persian. Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. So... I guess I'll start by asking you what it was like growing up Iranian-American in this area and how some of those challenges you faced when you were younger have changed or if some of them have kind of stayed the same. Okay, so first, I'm going to start out with some footnotes to your introduction (laughs) because when you are a person like us with um, multiple identities, there's a lot of parentheticals and footnotes and things like that. So first... Grace Moral Burnett. The middle name is important. Yes. Um, And I would prefer Azerbaijani. Okay. Um, There are some uh, reasons behind that. Okay. Do you want to get get into why Azerbaijani as opposed to Azeri? Um, I'm not going to go too deep into that distinction, but um, so my mom is from Tabriz. Right. uh, Azerbaijani Turk from Tabriz. Um, and that's uh, a strong identity mm-hmm. with me. I grew up speaking Azerbaijani Turkish mm-hmm. with my mom and her family. Okay. So my first, um, my my first bilingual uh, bilingualness is English and Azerbaijani Turkish. Yep. Um, I learned Farsi later on. Okay. Um, so that's that's that. Right. Um, so I guess we can go into that a little bit. I know in, in previous conversations that we've had, you've talked about uh, when you were younger, you were a little embarrassed about uh, your mom speaking Azari to you uh, at school and then being dropped off and then some other kind of small anecdotes. Do you mind uh, expanding on that or talking about that a little bit more? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when you're a, a kid, elementary school age kid, you just want to be like everybody else, Mm -hmm. or at least it was like that when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think that's common across most, most yeah, kids. Yeah, I'm not, I, th- I, I would guess that it's probably different for kids now, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Right. Um, but it definitely it wasn't so cool to be that different. So mm-hmm. I remember my mom dropping me off and, you know, saying some things kind of loud because we're loud <laughs> um, in, in Turkish. And mm-hmm. I would be like, Mom, speak <laughs> English, please. Um, right. So, yeah, I definitely was aware of my being different in some way Mm -hmm. from a pretty early age. Did you, uh, I know a lot of people, uh, other Iranian Americans talk about uh, lunchboxes and how like in your (laughs) lunchbox there, like you could tell that someone was Iranian based on what they had. Yeah, I would have like peanut butter and honey on pita. Okay. And I would be like, mom, I can't take this. <laughs> and, or people would just be like, what is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, there were certain things where I was just like, I can't take that. I can't, yeah. I can't take that. The, you know, stuff that you can't take Gorma Sabzi right. you, you and warm it up. <laughs> things smell funny. You're right. You exactly. know, <laughs> delicious to us. Um, but, but for kids, it's like they see something that's different and it totally like flip flips them out, you know, freaks them out. Or even just like the style of food. Cause American kid lunch food is pretty, pretty boring mm-hmm. and pretty not healthy <laughs> and stuff. Like, you know, right. my grandma would have wanted me to just have rice and chicken mm-hmm. and maybe some Horesh or something. Right. But that would have not been normal, like in the early nineties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you talk about, um, I guess like growing up, um, like what were some challenges that you faced and how have they changed to get back to the first question? <laughs> um, I don't, th- I think the challenges I faced were more internal, mm-hmm. okay. um, than external. Like I don't feel like I was ever discriminated against because of my Iranian background. Of course, there's no way I could know, Mm -hmm. but I never felt that Mm -hmm. happening on a, in an overt way. Right. Um, but I did sort of struggle with fitting in Mm -hmm. or appearing to fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, when talking about my family or my experiences or what I did over a weekend or, you know, things like that to try and sort of filter it through, um, make it sound like things that other people could understand. Yeah. You know, when a weekend was like, there was a wedding so I had 20 cousins in town and we all had to sleep over on the ground mm-hmm. on the sleeping on the floor yeah. and we're up till like, you know, times that way later than right. non-Iranian kids were probably sleeping stuff like, that. you know, yeah. it's just some of, some of the experiences I was having, mm-hmm. I knew that the people around me couldn't relate to. Right. Um, so that, was something I struggled with internally. Yeah. Was there something that, that happened uh, early on that made you realize that, or was it just like something you felt almost like immediately that like, Hey, something's we're a little different than everybody else. Yeah. I think when you start to 
go to uh, your friends' houses a lot and mm. have sleepovers and right. things like that, you st- you start to realize, oh, this is really <laughs> different. Um, right. Yeah, no, I don't remember when if it, when that started that awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely a weight you carry around. I mean, even if it's not big things, but it's like on a daily basis, you know, it adds up. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling it's some disconnection. Right. Um, I guess this is like a good segue to talk about uh, what you do at work or what your experiences at work when you talk about your Iranianness or how you lead with it or don't lead with it or how uh, sometimes you try to keep it under wraps, but it gets outed innocently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say there's pretty much no difference in my yeah. school experience right. growing up to current work. I right. mean, it's the same. Yeah. Um, but I generally like, uh, for example, at my current job, which is a new one, um, I'm a lawyer and I, I work for a technology company that, um, uh, provides resources for lawyers. Um, I had not mentioned to anyone or my boss Mm -hmm. um, that I was Iranian or part Iranian. They had all known that I had lived in Turkey Mm -hmm. and my work experience there was really relevant to what I'm doing now. So they knew about that part of the story, Mm -hmm. but I had never brought up the fact that I was Iranian until I had to ask for the day off for Nowruz. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sent an email to my boss saying, it's the, Mar- it's the spring equinox <laughs> um, and also Persian New Year and right. I need the day off. Anyway, she was fine with it. Yeah. Um, and later actually wished me a happy Nowruz on the day and everything, which nice. was really nice. Yeah. Um, but then fast forward... And there's a, a, an Iranian lady who works remotely for mm. my company who I had never actually met. Okay. Um, and on the on the week after Nowruz, she had arranged for uh, an Iranian pastry chef in LA to put together a package oh, wow. for our office, and she had it shipped to our office. And then I get this call <laughs> from someone down the hall saying, "Hey, you're Iranian, right?" <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, come here, you have to explain it to us what these sweets are. <laughs> Can you put an email together uh, to everybody saying what these are? And I'm, I'm like, sure. Because, of course, I'm the expert on Iranian sweets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I had to go and Google a couple things, like what kind of Sohan it was. And, yeah. Uh, but, and so then, so then now everyone knows. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, growing up, what sort of, um, like when you all celebrated Nowruz, like how was that introduced to your class? Was there any conversation about it or at school? Yeah. Did you just kind of like, I'm going to be out tomorrow or like we're doing this thing. Uh, I can't like do the sleepover with you all. I think the world was, at least where I grew up, Mm -hmm. I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia, which was pretty pretty diverse. Yep. Um, and there were a lot of diversity type events and things. Mm-hmm. Like I remember us being taught about Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. one unit. I remember us being taught about uh, 
Passover, even mm-hmm. like different holidays and things. Um, but it still was not the world today. And I never even, mm-hmm. it never even crossed my mind to do something like that, okay. honestly. But I feel it, my sense of what schools are like now and mm-hmm. just the culture now has changed. I feel like kids today would be more like, or I hope they are mm-hmm. more likely to share. Um, but no, I never did. It would just, you know, it was just like the weird things we do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, weird and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like ours was that we had rice with every meal. And so the kids in the neighborhood were just like, what, what's happening? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's or, called a staple. Right. Or like, <laughs> uh, we would have the sabze plate at Noru's. Right. Uh, and people were like, why is your dad growing grass? <laughs> In, in the kitchen on a plate <laughs> on a plate it's like ah, i guess i don't know like uh <laughs> right or or try explaining like the fish mm-hmm. the goldfish right and how they're pets but they're really not they're probably gonna die really soon yeah and we just get new ones every year <laughs> and we don't take care of them well enough yeah for them to a long time. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's actually why my uh, dad stopped doing it because we would get it and it would just like die. And my dad was like, I'm not doing this. Yeah, no, no. So. We also at some point stopped, but um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess we could, since we're talking kind of about how we've interacted with friends growing up uh, and, and we've kind of talked about this off air in other situations, um, how, you interacted with, with friends growing up and how you made friends and like what, um, how you allowed them to interact with your Iranianness or how they chose to interact with your Iranianness, what, like, or if they're even aware of it and like how you chose to be close with people. Oh yeah. I mean, yes, I think, I think what you're getting at is context Mm -hmm. and how, you know, as someone with multiple identities, not even just two, Mm -hmm. um, I could be wearing the Iranian hat. I could be wearing the, Mm -hmm. the Azerbaijani Turk hat. I could be wearing my, you know, I'm just an American named Grace Burnett. My dad's from Colorado, right? you know? Yeah. Um, I could be wearing that hat Mm -hmm. and I, it really depends on context and Mm -hmm. it has changed. Um, I mean, it could change on an hourly basis and it still does. Um, So with Iranians, I wanted them to know that I was a Turk, Mm -hmm. that I was a Azerbaijani. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really important in that context. Right. Um, with Americans, I may or may, if it was like the culture club kids, right. You know, like the yeah. diverse group, <laughs> then I would be like, I'm Iranian. Right. You know, like I'm, I'm diverse too. <laughs> um, if it, uh, with some parts of my dad's side of the family, my white side of the family, I'm just one of you guys too. Mm-hmm. Or I wanted to feel that way, right? At least in those contexts at those times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was talking about you know my dad's great aunts and uncles in Kentucky, and mm-hmm. just 
you know, just focusing on that family. Right. So it really, it's about context and um, it's, I, I have never thought about this until now, but I'm sure it takes a toll on me all the switching. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It must be exhausting for my brain. <laughs> yeah. I would say that like, even, uh, you know, just I'll use my dad as an example. Uh, after his family comes to visit, he's exhausted for a week because he's switching back and forth between English and Persian. And he's not even that good of a Persian speaker anymore because he's been here for 50 plus years. So I can only imagine, uh, and I haven't even thought about it either until just now that like, maybe that's part of what our exhaustion and like stressors are is that we're just constantly having to switch back and forth. Um, or, or filter or filter. Yeah. Or make kind of like a, um, just a concerted effort to make other people comfortable in our otherness. Right. Or make that help them understand or translate or explain mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um, so just, just the, just yesterday, um, I go, does anybody want any pita bread at the office? Because I just started clean eating again and I'm not having bread and (laughs) the lunch I ordered came with bread. And then I was like, it's this, it's just a really bad thing to throw away bread in, in my culture. Like, do you know about that? Or does your dad do like our family, we'll throw a ton, tons of things out Mm -hmm. and not feel bad about it. But for some reason they just can't throw away bread and it's been passed on to me anyway. So I was just like, I'll just hold on to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, little things like that right. that are just different that I do that are just different than most of the people around me. Yeah. Okay. Um I guess we can jump into this too. You you've talked about um being Azerbaijani uh Turk mm-hmm. and how that is distinct from being Persian. Uh and you know that there, there are a lot of kind of tensions socially in Iran about that. Like, yeah. have you experienced that here in the U S within the Iranian American community? Um, I would say in indirect ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone knows about the tension mm-hmm. that's there. Right. And I think people try to deal with it in different ways and the most common thing that I have encountered throughout my whole life is people within the Iranian community being like, but you guys are, you're not really Turk. Mm-hmm. You're Azeri. Azeri is something else. Right. You're, you guys are Iranians. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, uh, you're not really that different Mm -hmm. and chill out. Yeah. It's, you know, what's the big deal has been the most common reaction, which is, you know, has been frustrating to encounter because when I was younger, I would go through the efforts and the energy of trying to explain things to people Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, actually, we really have a totally different language. Um, our cult, we have our own literary and, mm-hmm. um, you know, cultural traditions that are distinct that share commonalities with this 
Turkic world outside of Iran. And um, sure, of course, we're part of Iran. Of course, we're Iranians. Mm -hmm. That's a different issue. But, you know, it's, I hope we can get to a place where the people can recognize, you know, our usness without it being a threat to um, the idea that we're Iranian too. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of this this clash between the Persian centric view of what an Iranian is, very similar to the white centric view of what an American is. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, or, you know, another thing that I've encountered throughout my life that's really unfortunate are the the Turk jokes. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard of them uh, yeah, and about them yep. or heard them themselves. Yeah. And it's it, it's just so prevalent and i i'm still unhappy anytime i'm in a social setting that that would mm-hmm. come up right um and then the most common response i get is vali babam torke yeah mama nam torke yeah and i'm like my mom's turk uh, yeah. turk my dad's turk i yeah. can st- i can tell this joke and yeah. it's like but I just wish you wouldn't. Yeah. It's not helping the situation. Yeah. yeah. So that is a very overt othering feeling mm-hmm. that right. I've experienced in my life to be in a social setting, a party or mm-hmm. something and have someone tell a joke like that. That's about your people. Right. Um, and it's a, you know, derisive yeah. joke. That's. Yeah. I mean, Full disclosure, growing up, my dad would use that as a, like, knock against us. Like, if we did something, like, goofy and he didn't approve of it, he would call us a twerk. And I was just like, okay. And I never knew what it meant. And I think maybe interacting with you the first few times, you kind of, like, made it clear that that was not an okay thing to say or do. Yeah. Uh, Not that I said anything, but, like, I kind of, like, talked about it. And then you were like, yeah, that's, like these are issues. And so I think I've even called my dad out and he hasn't really said too much about it, but uh, he hasn't said that too much since then. But I just remember growing up with that being a part of like things he said to us. Yeah. And never, I mean, it's super common. It's super common. And it's just so easy for people who are not the butt of that kind of joke Mm -hmm. to really just not grasp how hurtful it is Mm -hmm. to those people. Yeah. Um, kind of staying in the same, uh, general area, you grew up learning Azeri first and then you jumped into, to Persian. Yeah. Right. Or, well, so, um, yeah, I grew up speaking, um, Azerbaijani Turkish mm-hmm. with my mom and her family, uh, from birth. And then when I was, I believe it was fourth grade. Mm-hmm my mom put me in Saturday school, Farsi school. Okay. Um, And how was that experience? (laughs) Oh, that was, that was difficult. Yeah. Um, Because I was at a serious disadvantage compared to the other Iranian Mm -hmm. kids, Farsi coming from Farsi speaking families. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I mean, it's a new alphabet and you're trying to sound words out. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And start to learn to read. And it's a lot easier if you know what the word could be that you're trying to sound out. Yep. Uh, but to me, most of them were foreign. Yeah. So, 
uh, it was painful, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the school. I enjoyed like, it was, it was a mini moment of being with kids who are all like you basically, right. aside from the, 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 the Turkish Persian right. difference. Um, it was like, you know, a world where I'm not different. Right. A world where you're like in other people who look like you and eat almost the same foods or the same right. foods as you and, and bring, the, bring weird lunches yeah, and, and have the same cultural references. And you just can like say one word and everyone just kind of gets it and right. you don't have to explain yourself. And you're like, wait, this yeah. is actually, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great, uh, experience. Right. Um, I'm really grateful to my mom for, um, putting me in, in the program half a day a week. Mm-hmm to to feel the same mm-hmm. right yeah and you you've mentioned before that that uh, experience did kind of bring you a little closer to your mom and your your grandfather because it was a kind of a similar um similar situation that they experienced being in iran whenever they went to school and had to learn in in persian or that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather is a big proponent of having um, education in Azerbaijani Turkish, uh, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always has told me stories about kids going to school, which still happens today. Mm-hmm. It is probably the most common experience for kids in Iranian Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. Um, that they they go to school the first day knowing no Farsi. Mm. And suddenly everything's in Farsi and it's this traumatic right. experience. Um, obviously, now there are many people in urban areas who are trying to give their kids an edge and try to teach them Farsi before going to school. Um, but... Yeah, so I sort of experienced it in a different, mm-hmm. a totally different context, a right. different way, and, and not not in an oppressive way. It was a voluntary situation, right. <laughs> but um, I could relate. You could relate to it. Yeah. I could relate. I yeah. mean, because the two languages, you know, they're different language families, nothing to do with each other. Yeah. The grammatical structure, the just the way it's set up, like couldn't be diff- mm-hmm. more different. I didn't realize how like different there there was how much how much difference there was between uh the turkic languages and and in persian right yeah, yeah. indo-european and turkic languages are like coming from central asia okay yeah like related to like uh eastern mm-hmm. eastern asian languages too yeah um yeah i guess we can go into also we've talked about this like what's in a name right yeah so, um, you're Grace Burnett on paper, right? Grace Moral Burnett. Moral Burnett, exactly. So, yeah. um, you know, most people, and I think I was, uh, whenever we were playing soccer together, I was introducing you as Moral and you were introducing yourself as Grace. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew you as Moral first. Um, and um, can you, like, go in and talk a bit, little bit about how you've chosen to 
insert morale into your professional life and, and what the thought process was behind that? Sure. Yeah. No, I think first though, I should say <clears throat> that this is another issue where context mm-hmm. is really important. Right. Um, so I have grown up and up into this, up to this day, I go by grace in mm-hmm. school and at work mm-hmm. and I go by morale with my family and Iranians and Turks. Right. Um, so I think our soccer context yeah. to me was like school. Right. <laughs> that and makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so right. I was grace right. at soccer just because yeah. that's yeah. easier for people. Yeah, it's easier. Yeah. But if we were on an all Iranian soccer league, yeah. then that would have been, I would have been morale there. Right. Uh, but so, yeah, even that, see, just add that to the list mm-hmm. <laughs> of exhausting things that yeah. I do. Right. Um, but one effort that I made in trying to reconcile this, these sort of mm-hmm. different codes is to make sure that at work now, in all my professional things, on my LinkedIn, on my business cards, everything, um, it says Grace Marl Burnett, and mm-hmm. my middle name is written out. Um, because even if I don't use that name at work, I want people to know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want it to be a signal to people who know <laughs> yeah. that if they see my name, because I'm, I don't have an Iranian first name or last mm-hmm. name, which was an interesting choice by my parents, right. um, that they can still see, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who know. Right. Where the name Morel is from. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the, the selection of names uh, by parents who are like mixed race. Yeah. Uh, and in, in our situation specifically, it's definitely interesting. And I don't know uh, how much thought there is put into it. Uh, do you know, have you spoken to your parents about why they chose to make the names the way that they did? You know, I have never heard a rationale Mm -hmm. from them, but it has always been my assumption Mm -hmm. that whether conscious or not, they wanted me to enjoy white privilege. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) I can't think of another reason (laughs) why, or they just like the name grace so much and didn't, and weren't thinking about it so Mm -hmm. deeply, maybe too. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, an option. Yeah. I've heard other like comments similar to that where um, parents were worried about, uh, you know, right after the revolution, naming their kid Hossein or uh, Muhammad or whatnot. So uh, they pick names like Jacob or David. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I. I'm interested as to what my mom would say as an answer, Mm -hmm. but my mom moved here um, in her early preteens in 1978. Got it. While the revolution was ongoing. Mm -hmm. So it had started, but it hadn't Hadn't been done, finished yet. Yeah. Um, And she went to high school at Yorktown High School in Arlington, Virginia Mm -hmm. during the hostage crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Things, I mean, she heard things like go home mm-hmm. and go home Iranians and all the, yeah. you know, horrible things like that. So 
it was it in her, you know, somewhere in her subconscious that she didn't want to give me an Iranian first name. I would think that's a high likelihood. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, <clears throat> you talked a little bit about um, engaging with your non-Iranian family, so on your dad's side, uh, and have you tried to broach the topic with them about being Iranian American and what, what that means? Is that something that, that you've thought about or that's been a fruitful conversation or do you just, have you just kind of tried to avoid it and only talk about it if it comes up? Well, with my, there's um, certain parts of my dad's family that are closer Mm -hmm. and with them, I think they very much see me as this person who has two cultures and Mm -hmm. um, they are respectful of it and um, partake in it Mm -hmm. sometimes and are wonderful about it. Um, Some of my dad's older members of the family out in Lowell, Mm -hmm. um, I don't get into it with them. Right. It's just, I'm, that's not because I have any feeling that they would be negative or, or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it's just easier not to. Right. Uh, You're not sure what their take will be and you are comfortable with not knowing. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yes. I think that's fair. Right. I know a lot of people have talked about that too. And I know in some cases with my own family on my mom's side, that's been, uh, it's been the case, although I think with uh, the current administration in the White House, that's kind of changed a little bit because I've been pretty outspoken about about it. Yeah. Um, which is why I was curious about like how that has been uh, discussed. But then again, I think you're much closer with your mom's side. That's true. Whereas I'm much closer, or much, you're much closer with your Iranian side, and I'm much closer with my American side. So that's why that conversation took place. Right. Yeah. No, if I were living closer and having more frequent interactions with that Kentucky family, I probably would go through the trouble of Mm -hmm. saying, you know, these policies that you affect Mm -hmm. or that, sorry, excuse me, these policies that you support would affect me and my family in these ways, Mm -hmm. just so you know. Right. Um, And things like that. But at the moment, just doesn't feel worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess we can switch uh, uh, gears here and, and I guess still kind of going into how you balance uh, interactions with family, but how maybe you've clashed with your Iranian family in terms of like your Americanness, like where tensions may come into play. Yeah. I, I think there's a few different dimensions to this. Um, One, I think the collective nature of Iranian culture versus the individualistic American culture. I think that has been a source of tension within me and with my family Mm -hmm. um, because... By American culture standards, I'm probably way more collective. Mm-hmm. Right. Mo- collective minded. 
uh, because of my upbringing, but I'm not nearly collective enough by my Iranian family standards. Right. Um, so I'm just caught in this middle place. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really hard to be right. Um, you know, things like self-sacrificing service of parents. Yeah. Uh, my mom devoted almost all of her time and energy to taking care of my grandmother until she passed away. Um, she's doing that now with my grandfather and we've had times where to the expense of her own health Mm -hmm. and her own life. Yeah. And we've had conversations where I've been like, mom, you have to take care of yourself. You need to draw boundaries. You need to delegate this to other people, Mm -hmm. you know, find more balance. And she's like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. That's not my culture. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what she says next is, God help me when I'm old because you're going to put me in a home. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is not true. Right. Um, I definitely respect and appreciate so much of that culture mm-hmm. that the, the oneness of the family and how people really, really take care of each other mm-hmm. and don't leave each other hanging. Yeah. Um, especially the el- elderly. Um, but, but there, some of the life choices I've made have really been incomprehensible to my Iranian family. Mm -hmm. You know, I moved to Turkey. I lived in Turkey for about three years before moving back last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, like, it was seen as an abandonment Mm -hmm. of them. Um, you know, how do you leave your family? Um, it's it's a very hard thing to reconcile. Mm-hmm. I think for me internally, I'm like, I'm this melange, I'm this this combination, I'm I'm you know, in between these two places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in practice, everyday life sometimes it's hard to relate to the each culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Me, myself being a mix of them. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that was one, the one, one dimension yeah. was the, was the collectiveness right. versus the individualism. Yeah. Um, and then the other, I think is just being seen as mm, not enough that thing. Uh, right. Okay. So, by the Iranian family, they're like, yeah, 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 you're Iranian, but you're American. Yeah. Um, so that was a tough thing growing up to feel like I could never 100% be part of the same club. That mm-hmm. I, You know, in certain conversations, I was sort of forced to sit out, mm. kind of. Or like, you can't really weigh in on this because right. you're American okay. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and maybe for some things it's true that my experiences were too different to really be able to relate, but that, mm-hmm. that feeling is hard. It's a hard thing to, yeah. to deal with, to, to, to be like, Oh, I really have experienced the world different from you guys. Yeah. I mean, even just on things that you've touched on, like 
experiencing discrimination mm-hmm. or things like that. Right. Um, my experience probably has been just different from you because of the last names we have. Right. Um, or, you know, our hair color. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah. Wanting to feel part of, gr- of a group, but not being able to fully do that. Right. Okay. Um, we've talked offline about how um, our access to two cultures have has kind of helped us realize that, like, there are, among our differences between the two cultures, and they're distinct uh, in some cases, that there are a lot of kind of similar themes that crop up. Um, can you kind of walk through some of those instances that you've realized, like, wait a minute, like we're actually really similar in the way we approach issues or things? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just a daily basis occurrence Mm -hmm. that I feel like we're all the same Mm -hmm. dang thing. (laughs) All the same darn thing. (laughs) Yep. Um, you know, my my Scottish dad's family feud like crazy. Yeah. They're big, big feuders. Yeah. I mean, if you don't send a thank you note for a gift, you could be looking at three years of cold shoulder. You know, th- it's very serious. Yeah. Um, and my... Iranian grandfather, my Tabrizi grandfather, his family is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, if not worse, like exact same feuding level. Right. Um, (laughs) And I bet if you talk to a lot of people from any culture, they'd be like, yeah, we have that. Yeah. Um, I think people just, when they stay with their own group, they tend to think that they're different than Mm -hmm. other people or that others are not like them. But when you're like us and you get to be in both, right? You're like guys. You're the exact same. Yeah. Um, what was it that we would joke? Feuds, families, religion, food, and there was like a fourth or fifth one that we had that kind of, uh, it's like all of those things are encapsulated in both the Iranian culture and the Southern culture on a regular basis. Right. So hospitality was the other one. Right. So uh, that's true. Yeah. It just was always it's fascinating whenever you have to straddle both cultures that people try to put like far away from one another. And you're like, wait, no, these are two big things that are very similar. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, so we've reached kind of a, a, a stopping point, not really a stopping point, but I think, uh, uh, we can move on to like a, a last little segment that is kind of a fun, quick fire rapid response sure um which, i'm ready which may require some uh explanation on your part whenever i ask the question and you answer <laughs> okay, okay i'm gonna try my best okay so uh i've done this for everyone favorite home cooked meal or comfort food eggplant stews okay awesome favorite iranian restaurant in the city uh or <laughs> I, w- so I wish there were better options. Okay. Do you have a favorite one in the U.S. or do you not like any of them? I don't like any of them. Okay. I. It's unfortunate. I feel yeah. like there's a gap, especially here in the D.C. area. Okay. Um, you know, you got to get a mom's cooking at home. Right. 
Okay. Uh, favorite place to visit can be anywhere. Is it some? It has to be. It has to be a place I go back to. Um, it it could. You could have gone there once, and you're just like, I really want to go back again. Um, or it could be a place that you go a lot, and you're just really comfortable there. I would say Italy. Italy. Yeah. A- any place in Italy, or because we bled right in. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad to this day thinks that somehow we're like Italian too, and I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> probably <laughs> do one of those tests. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, this one is where you may have to explain a little bit. So I've asked other people, uh, Paris or Estegal. Oh yeah. <laughs> Troxor, Troxor, Troxor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the way. Um, Tabriz's team. Yeah. and Troxor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of, if you want, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that and like what has happened and how that's the, uh, kind of they use sport for the um where uh the Azerbaijani Turks express their uh dissatisfaction with um uh how they're being treated. Um yeah so just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Google <laughs> Google Traktor Sazi yeah. Tabriz's soccer team um and you will see that They've had a huge, huge outpouring of support from Azerbaijani youth, and um, they use it as a um, forum to make political, mm-hmm. social statements. Right. Um, and it's really, really cool to watch. Okay. So um, next question, Istanbul, Tabriz, or D.C.? For a living? Or in, like you can take that however you want. Uh, Istanbul. Istanbul. I mean, one of the best cities in the world. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of like nostalgia and how like smells and uh, scents can like bring you back to like a s- certain spot. Um, do you have any specific things that like you know for sure you smell it? It takes you right back to a specific point. Well... For me, so my grandmother, who, who passed away a few years ago, was a really important person in my life. She was like my second mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the smell of walking into a house and rice cooking, mm-hmm. Iranian rice, yep. is that takes me to her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I get it. Like when I smell basmati rice being cooked i am transported back to an iranian home so yeah uh, i totally understand that yes um i think we've reached a stopping point here uh there sure is more probably that we could discuss and we could go for a much longer period of time i really do appreciate you coming taking time out of your day uh to come in and chat with me and record and then also inviting me over to your place and and having a conversation there and um having a great afternoon with you and your daughter (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. No, um, I I think for the first time ever, I realized the 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 emotional and energetic toll mm-hmm. that some of these things take. Yeah, um, I had never thought about it mm-hmm. in this way until this this session. Oh, 
So thank you very much. That's so a little bit of group therapy. Yep. That's been going on. Absolutely. I would say so. <laughs> it's a common theme so far. Yeah, actually. I would say so. Definitely. Awesome. Well, again, thank you very much. And uh, yeah. Thank awesome. you. <laughs> Apparently, I have a problem pronouncing dissatisfaction. My apologies for that. I met Grace, <coughs> excuse me, Moral, the first summer after I moved to D.C., we realized we had a unique connection. Like my father, her mom immigrated here from Iran, and her dad's family, well, part of them at least, have roots back in Kentucky, just like my mom's family. We've stayed in touch over the years, playing on the same Saturday morning soccer teams and keeping in contact even when she moved to Istanbul. Now that she's back in the D.C. area and leaning on that friendship, I reached out to Moral earlier this spring to gauge her interest in jumping on the podcast. Before we recorded, my wife and I sat down at her new apartment eating hamburgers and watching Disney films with her young daughter, who is already living a multicultural life, speaking a mixture of English, Turkish, and Azerbaijani. If I'm honest, it reminded me a little bit of my own childhood, as much of my toddler vocabulary was a mix of Persian phrases or words for various snacks with English. My brother would often have to translate for our babysitter. When we finally sat down to record one day in early May, a new hour time together would elicit some breakthroughs, clarifications, and footnoting. One of the main reasons I wanted Moral to join this project was because she's Azerbaijani and all the others are Persian. I wanted to jump into how that affected her growing up because I knew there were some very real tensions that existed between Persians and Azerbaijanis. From the very beginning, it played a role in our conversation, coming, going, entering, but never really fully leaving the space. I was fascinated by the linguistic aspect of how that identity manifests itself within the greater Iranian-American community. As you know, previous conversations with others have suggested language is a unique gateway to access culture, but what happens if you're from that space? but the language your group speaks isn't the same as everyone else's. She bonded with her grandfather over this sense of isolation she felt trying to learn Persian after years of only speaking Azerbaijani. His experience was likely a bit more traumatic, but it was similar enough to Moral's that she gained a glimpse into his childhood. But Persian language school wasn't always isolating. Those three hours every Saturday gave her a space where she was surrounded by other Iranian Americans having similar experiences. They were her people facing the same challenges she faced, asking themselves the same questions and dealing with the same internal tensions. But there's also this idea of the lunchbox, right? From my own memories, you could have definitely figured out which parent packed my lunch when I was in preschool. My dad had found ways to insert a baggie full of carrots or spinach and there was always a, a single parsley leaf he would get offended if i didn't touch it or if i petitioned for something closer to what my mom sent me with moral's own experience peanut butter and honey on pita and the realization at an early age that there's no chance she could survive after bringing gorma sebzi for lunch it was the most it was almost a marker a watershed to prove that what she had already felt that she was different than everyone else luckily though she grew up in Fairfax County it was somewhat diverse but 
Like with the lunchbox marker, marker, she knew that there were other certain experiences, family celebrations, weddings, holidays, that were just not things people around or other people around her experienced. She knew that most of her classmates, even in the liberal and diverse Fairfax County, wouldn't really understand how important those events were. Maybe I'm burying the lead here, but maybe the most important, for lack of a better word, breakthrough came during this conversation. There was a realization on her part that all the switching, filtering, and concerted efforts to make people comfortable in her otherness, whether it be with her family or, or school friends or even coworkers, has taken a toll physically and emotionally. All of that work and effort is flat out exhausting. What do you think? Do you get exhausted from all the switching, all that engagement and disengagement? Do you spend too much time worrying about what your coworkers may think if you ask off for no ruse or if they'll be weirded out by whatever is in your lunchbox? Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email at whydadjacentpodcast at gmail.com or comment wherever you downloaded the podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch the other five episodes. Next time they ask you where you're from, you tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb. Next time they ask what kind of name, you tell them it's the kind you're scared of, but I'll say it just the same. And if they wonder who you are, Well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. White Adjacent is brought to you by Bourbon and Chai Media. Final production by Ian Martin. Interviews recorded by Heartcast Media, located in the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Music by Nima Samimi and his band Muhammad 7. The song, entitled Manifesto, comes from their debut album Muhammad 7 and the Spring. The album can be found on iTunes or on their website, muhammad7.com. And a special thanks to John Maines over at SB Works, a local nonprofit in Washington, D.C.'s Northeast Quadrant.